Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. I'm Walter Sorholt alongside David Dickens, President Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors, serving you in Kansas City with an office in Overland Park. You can find us online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. David, great to be with you this week. What's up in your world? Well, let's see. Uh, we're recording this in the uh, second week of March Madness, so uh, we do a, a family bracket every year. And I can tell you that my bracket isn't doing nearly as well as I thought it would. So that's, although, you know, every year that's pretty much the case. So uh, anyway, I am enjoying watching a lot of basketball on TV. Yeah, I could probably just copy and paste our commentary from last year, David. Uh, and, <laughs> and and it would probably be, the, we probably said the same thing in last March's episodes. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, you know, yeah, my, my brackets tend to work. I've won one time in my entire life, and I've been doing these brackets for like 40 years. So this year is not going to be one of the, not going to be the number two winning season for me. I've uh, kind of given up on trying with the brackets, so <laughs> I just have fun picking a bunch of upsets and hoping I can ride one of them and be on the bandwagon for a uh, you know Loyola like they like they did a couple of years ago, making it to the Final Four, or, you know, just one of these small schools and just just ride that wave with them for uh, for the March Madness. So yes, well, half of the people in my family and in this bracket competition are all Baylor Bears, so oh, <laughs> this time okay. of year is when they tend to get very happy. Gotcha. All right. And and they, you know, past champions, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks with them. Uh, Going to be a tall task for anybody to take down Gonzaga, that's for sure. But we'll see how <laughs> it all Don't we say that out. every year, Walter? That's true. And uh, last year it happened. So uh, yeah. we will see. Will they finally get over the hump this year or not? Uh, well, we've got a great show on the way today. We're going to be talking about the stages of your life, but in particular, which financial documents should you really be focusing on depending on where you are in your life? So we're getting more specific. I think we've done shows before, David, where we've talked about planning things you should keep in mind through different stages of your life, but we're going to specifically kind of focus on the documents side of things today. So you want to take people through three different phases, really. Uh, we'll start with the 20s, and then for folks who are in their 30s and 40s, and then we'll get into the 50s through retirement. So you want to kick us off with the 20-year-olds or 20-somethings? Sure, let's do that. And and really kind of the disclaimer about this discussion and every other podcast we've ever done, this is not specific advice for anyone that's listening to this. If you have a situation that is somewhat complex, you need to seek out a financial professional, maybe in this case, an estate planning professional. But do-it-yourself-ing can be an awesome thing, especially when you have a relatively simple situation. So, I'm going to give you some, I think, real important key points. But as you get further, the more you have, the more assets you have, or the more complicated your situation, please go seek out a financial professional to help you with this. So the uh, in your 20s, kind of getting started out, and your, your, your thought probably is, you know, I don't have any assets, and what I have, nobody would really want to inherit. So, and that may be, that may be correct especially in your early 20s, but by the end of your 20s, who knows? Uh, things start to take shape for a lot of people kind of quickly. So the key thing in your 20s is you need to have really good beneficiary designations. This is a really critical habit to form early in your life because as you add spouses and kids and maybe 
people die and etc. This is a lifelong process to make sure that your beneficiaries, your beneficiary designations, reflect what you want to have happen. If you die suddenly or if you die slowly, but whenever you're gone, the state you live in has rules they will follow if you don't set up beneficiaries. So you may as well decide what you want to have happen to your assets instead of letting the state decide. When you're in your 20s, early 30s, no spouse, no kids, you probably have maybe an IRA, maybe a 401k at work, maybe a, a health savings account. You, you might not have life insurance that you purchased on your own, but you might have life insurance from work. And those are kind of the key things that I can think of in your 20s that are going to have beneficiary designations, and you're just going to want to make sure you set them up the way you want them. How does that happen? Well, when you sign up for something, one of these programs at work, <laughs> you have to fill out a beneficiary designation form. It's just required. You'll be required to set up a primary uh, beneficiary. Or two, you can go 50-50 with two different people. You can go 100% to somebody. You could put all your siblings on there. If you got eight, ki- if you got eight brothers and sisters, you can put them all on there. Uh, but you have to designate someone. You know, I, over the years, I can think of a number of different ways how this got goofed up with particular clients. Um, but sometimes you leave the money in your 401k to, let's say, a parent. And your expectation is, well, they're going to know that I want them to spread that out amongst my siblings. Well, if you haven't had that specific discussion, they aren't necessarily going to know that. Um, So a lot of times communication uh, like that can be really important even early on when you don't have a bunch of beneficiaries and you don't have a bunch of assets and not a lot of people counting on you. Those kind of discussions are real important. Overarching this whole thing, Walter, I think the key driver for all of what we're going to talk about today is, are there people that are counting on you to get this right? And even early on, there are, there are people that are counting on you to get it right. Typically, those people are your spouse, if you have one, your kids, if you have them, and your heirs, once you're in this later stage of life that we're going to talk about in a little while, There are heirs that are counting on you to have given this some thought and done it right. And I'll give you an example of when that didn't go so right in about 10 minutes. It's interesting that you mentioned that, David, because uh, I kind of just went, not really went through this, but literally yesterday in the mail, I got a, uh, well, my wife got her life insurance statement. And I was looking at, you know, just, you know, opened it up, looked at it. It had already been paid for and everything because that's automatic and whatnot. It was just kind of a recap of things. And it showed the insured amount. And then it showed me as the primary beneficiary. But then I noticed under the contingent beneficiary, there was nothing listed there. So it's just the two of us. So uh, do, do we need to put our dogs down there? or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so that is super common to have happen. People, if you don't list your spouse, that's who it's going to in every situation I can think of. But a lot of times spouses die in the same car wreck or more infrequently, but in the same plane wreck or, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to have that happen. And so that creates complexity. So renaming secondary beneficiaries, thinking through that, maybe it's a niece or a nephew, maybe it's your folks. Uh, in her case, it would be her folks because it would be her asset. And after you're gone, that's where the money would go. But 
defaulting to state rules sometimes isn't, oftentimes isn't what you'd like. So you get a chance to, d- to decide exactly who your money goes to. And I believe that when most people <laughs> would agree with this, when you get a chance to make a decision based on your own inclinations, you should do that. So having contingent beneficiaries is super important in the unlikely event that your primary beneficiary dis- uh, uh, dies before or at the same time that you do. Very helpful to know. All right. So we, so Walter, we, we so, should probably uh, put something in there. Then. <laughs> we should probably put something in there. I, I think I always do. Yeah. And um, I, I encourage my clients to do that too. And sometimes, man, that is a, that's a real head scratcher for a lot of people. But it's worth a little bit of head scratching time to get that figured out. So for, for young people, you've got uh, beneficiary designations, super important. There are a couple of other things I want to mention. If you, if you happen to own a home, maybe you're an early home purchaser and you don't have a spouse. If you die and you don't have a will, well, the, the house is going to go to your next of kin, which most cases would be your parents and siblings, and it would be split up. But somebody's going to have to take that through probate. Uh, if you don't create a beneficiary designation on the title for your home. We've talked about in the prior podcast, so I'm not going to go through that in any detail today. But you can put a beneficiary designation on your home, on your cars, on your bank accounts, not just on your IRAs, HSAs, 401ks. So that's really important if you happen to be in your 20s and you own a home and you don't have a spouse. And then lastly, and most people are a lot of people are not going to do this. I did it, and I have so much fun looking back at this over the decades. But I think establishing broad financial goals for yourself when you're in your 20s, if you're a goal-driven person, and you're convinced you're going to have a good career, and you're a hard worker and a hard saver, I think it's really important to have longer-term goals written down somewhere. You know, old saying is, if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail. If you don't write down your goals, eh, they're not real goals. So I'd encourage everybody in their 20s, early 30s, listening to this podcast, make sure you have some long-term goals. Where am I going to be by age 40? Where am I going to be by age 50? By age 60? When do I plan to retire? How much money do I expect to have in retirement? I'll, I'll almost guarantee you that when you look back on those statements 20 years from now, you're going to laugh and see, wow, I didn't shoot very high. And if, if you've been successful, that's what you're going to say is, wow, <laughs> I underestimated myself. But it's super fun to have that track record to go back and look and say, what was I thinking as my younger self? And you roll those goals forward as you become more successful and you continually raise the bar. I like that a lot. That's very helpful, David. And uh, I had one more clarification. Contingency, is that the same as secondary? beneficiary? Are those interchangeable? Okay. It is. Some forms going to say one, some of the other, but you're going to have a contingent or a secondary beneficiary. You're allowed to name those beyond what you name as primary. And you can have, you can have, <laughs> if you wanted a long list, uh, let's say you have 20 grandchildren, you could name all of them on your contingent beneficiary list. So the people that, the, the custodians that hold these accounts they don't care. They're going to follow rules that are in place if you don't name who you want. So yes, a long answer to your short question, secondary and contingent are the same thing. 
Very good. For those of you in your 20s, some really good things to think about. I suppose if you're in your 30s and 40s and you haven't addressed some of those things, it's still good to also listen to that advice for our 20-somethings as well. Uh, But what else are we adding to the list as we get into our 30s and 40s now? Yeah, so exactly to your last point, 30s and 40s, the first thing on my list is beneficiary designations. And so you just want to listen to the last five minutes and make sure you have those exactly where you want them. Because the chances are, as you progress through life, your desires for who's going to inherit your money are going to change. Maybe you've added a spouse. Maybe you've got a couple of kids. Maybe your parents, one of them that you named as a beneficiary, isn't living anymore. And so this is really, it's, I encourage my clients to go through this annually to say, are the beneficiary designations that I've set up, are they still accurate? Is that still where I want my money to go? So 30s and 40s, maybe you've started the family. There are a couple of, uh, maybe you got some kids. So there's a couple of uh, things that we really need to add because your life has gotten a little bit more complex and your assets are a little bit bigger. In addition to your beneficiary designations, you might end up needing or wanting a will. Uh, So here's the list, and I'll double back and, and unpack them. A will, powers of attorney. You might want a living will, and I'd encourage you to have one. And then there's a remote, there's a somewhat remote possibility that you may need a trust. So let's start with will. A beneficiary designation is super powerful. If you say something in your beneficiary designation and you contradict it in your will, Well, it doesn't matter what your will said. The beneficiary designation is going to take precedence. But your will is super important when you spell out things like, where do I want my possessions to go? Well, they don't have beneficiary designations. And so um, you're going to name an executor, and that person is going to direct what happens to your stuff. You know, in your 30s and 40s, your stuff may not be huge, like it might be for your mom and dad. But it is important to identify where your stuff wants to go. Who's going to get your car? It may not have a beneficiary designation on it. And also, your will is where it's going to contain, if you have minor children, that's where you're going to spell out who the guardians for those kids are. If your spouse doesn't die with you, then, well, your spouse is the guardian. But the the key is, if you have kids and your spouse and you do die in the same accident, You want to have named who those guardians are going to be. Um, And you want to have discussed that role with that person long before the event happens where you can't discuss it with them anymore. You might also name backup guardians. That's an extra, like a secondary beneficiary, you might have a, a secondary guardian. If your children are set up to inherit your financial investments and they are minors, then you'd name a custodian for those assets for the children until they reach an age of majority, 18 or 21. So so that's really what a will would be. And it can be more complicated depending on what the assets you have, whatever assets you have. How do you get that done? Well, if your situation is pretty straightforward, you don't have to go get, you don't have to pay a thousand or 2000 bucks to an estate planning attorney. You might want to do that, but you might have a do-it-yourself will that maybe you download uh, from the internet somewhere. And that's perfectly fine, especially if you have a fairly straightforward estate. What you do want to make sure you do is to have that final document printed. You want to have it signed by two witnesses. And you'd also want to have it notarized. And your bank or your credit union 
a lot of times we have a notary in our office. So your financial advisor could do that for you too. But you want to print it. You want to have it signed by witnesses. You, of course, sign it. And then you'd have it notarized. And what that really does is it makes it very tough to contest a will <laughs> when you have it printed, signed, witnessed by two people and notarized. And what you'd really like to have happen when you die, speaking for myself, what I really want to happen when I die is that my wishes are followed. And by following some simple rules up front, that's what's going to happen. Well, that's just a great point, David. I, I like hearing um, some of those nuances. I mean, this is the age range I'm in, so I'm, my ears are really perked up listening to some of these details. So beyond beneficiaries and wills, I think it's really important to have powers of attorney signed. And all those are, usually they're healthcare and financial. And those say, those are documents, legal documents that say, who's going to speak for me if I can't? And who's going to exercise, maybe sign on accounts, uh, financial accounts, if I can't? So those are also documents that you don't need an estate planning attorney to do those for you necessarily. You just want to have um, download something on the internet. Make sure that the that that you've discussed with your future power of attorney. You wouldn't really want to surprise that person. With your future healthcare power of attorney, you really wouldn't want to surprise that person. Um, so you'd want to have a, a short discussion saying, "Hey, I've I want to name you as this to be this responsible person. If something were to happen to me, are you good with that?" And so they know they're kind of on the hook to be a responsible person if you if you die. And you may want to give them a copy of that document. Instead of stuffing it away in a, in a safe deposit box, um, you might give them a copy of it. If you have an estate planning attorney, they're going to have a copy of it. But those two powers of attorney are super important in the unlikely event that in your 30s or 40s, something really bad happens to you and you can't do things for yourself. So beneficiaries, wills, powers of attorney, a couple of other things to follow. Um, the next one that I think is real important is a living will. And a lot of people would refer to that as an advanced directive. And all that says is, mine says, if these types of things happen to me, healthcare-wise, what do I want to have happen? When do I authorize my loved people <laughs> to pull the plug is the kind of the most crude way of, of saying it. So the one particular story in, in my life, I had a, a relative who was in his late 30s, and he got into the situation where he all of a sudden was in a coma and couldn't speak for himself. And by the good fortune of another relative who had gotten this living will in place for him, his wishes were known. So everybody's standing around the hospital bed, talking to the doctor. Somebody's trying to make a really difficult decision. Or you have a living will that says in this person's voice, if this happens, here's what I want you to do. Super important, pretty unlikely that it's going to happen. But if it does, it takes some excruciatingly difficult decisions off of the plate of your loved one and puts them on you. Say, you know what? Take every effort you can possibly take to preserve my life. Or if it's a high probability that I am not going to have a significantly high quality of life, 
Let events run their course. Don't resuscitate. Don't take super extraordinary efforts to keep me alive. Those are all things that you can have in writing if you choose and if you take the step of having a living will. Very helpful, David. If uh, you are in your 20s, or excuse me, if you're in your 30s or 40s, may want to go back and listen to that last couple of minutes again. That was a lot to absorb, but some great material as well. We'll also have a handy write-up and recap of what David's talked about in the show notes of today's show. So go check that out for some reinforcement as well if you want to kind of see this in writing a little bit. Just look at the description of the show notes section of today's episode. All right, David, so then we get into our 50s and all the way through retirement, and we've got, uh, hey, Oh, joy, more documents and things to be aware of, right? <laughs> exactly. So I get a lot of questions about trust. Do I need a trust? I have a trust. Do I still need it? Uh, estate planning laws and maximums for, for avoiding estate tax, they change all the time. So a trust can be a sensible thing. In fact, doubling back to when you're in your 30s and 40s, there might be a good reason for you to have a trust. My experience and my opinion is that the vast majority of people do not need them. But the more assets you have or the more complicated your situation is, the more likely it is that you do need a trust. In your 30s and 40s, that probably would relate to having a special needs heir. So maybe you have a a kid who is a special needs person. And if they were to inherit a bunch of your assets, your IRAs, your 401ks, et cetera, that is going to run afoul of the income that they might be getting from Social Security as a disabled person. So there are really good reasons if you have a special needs person in your life to have a trust. And that's when you, (laughs) that is not a do-it-yourself operation. You want to spend the money to go see a, a, a good estate planning attorney, explain your situation to them, and get that taken care of. When you're pre or in retirement, a trust might also be a good idea. You may have a special needs heir. And that's the same reason, just different stage of life. So that's super important. You may be a high net worth individual and you're trying to do some interesting things as far as um, tax liability for your heirs. Or I have some clients who are not, wouldn't be considered high net worth, but they are interested in controlling their assets from the grave. In some cases, they have a, 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 a son or a daughter, an adult son or daughter who has a, a substance abuse problem. And they are confident that if that person gets this money in one lump sum, bad stuff's going to happen. They're going to spend it all in three weeks. Gambling addiction, whatever those things are. If your situation includes a person like that who's your heir, then a trust probably makes a ton of sense. And you should seek out qualified advice on that. So, you know, beyond that, you, you, you have, it's still the same list in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Beneficiary designations become something you want to look at every year because you're, you're the people you care about are more subject to change. Sisters, brothers, parents, sometimes kids. Um, your will is going to be super important. Your advanced directive is going to be really important. Your powers of attorney, healthcare and financial are going to be super important. One thing that you probably haven't done until you get to 50 or so is that you probably don't have a written retirement plan. So that's the final thing I want to cover here is when you get to be 50 or so, I think it's really important that you have a written retirement plan. What's in that plan? 
Well, we've done podcasts in the past that go into significant detail on this, but here's the list. When am I going to retire? What are my sources of income in retirement? Social security, pension, drawing from 401ks. Um, Do I have a long-term care plan and do I want or need one? That's a choice. You don't have to get long-term care insurance. And in fact, sometimes it's not I have a lot of clients that don't, but you ought to have it worked into your plan as to what you're going to do if you need assisted living. What's my withdrawal strategy? Am I going to build up savings in the last couple, three or four years of my work life so that I don't have to tap my 401k, my IRA, and maybe I can do some Roth conversions the first couple years of retirement. So all those things are part of a real retirement plan. And most people that walk through my door don't have one, which frankly is, is why they walk through my door, is because they, don't, they know they don't have a plan. They know they've accumulated a good amount of assets. And they want to just do the right thing by, them, by themselves, by their spouse, by their heirs. And so that retirement plan, I think it's super important to have retirement goals when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s. It's really important to have a retirement plan when you're in your 50s, 60s. And then even in retirement, we roll those plans forward each year, oftentimes with the goal of determining, will my money last to age 100? So that's kind of, you know, I always think it's going to be a high level overview and then I go down a few rabbit trails. But hopefully this has been super helpful for people in various stages of life to say, here are the, here are the key things that you really shouldn't ignore because there are laws in place that will do with your money what government says should be done, and you get the opportunity to override all of that and do what you want to have done. It's super important, I think, to do that, but it doesn't happen by itself. So every six months, (laughs) listen to this podcast and say, where am I now? And, And did I actually do any of this stuff that was on this list? Or is it still on a nice-to-have list? And I really need to get out of my chair and get some of these things done. Fantastic. I love all the breakdown, David, and uh, so many great things to be on the lookout for as we advance through the ages. That's a pretty good list for us to be able to follow as uh, we experience these different things. So uh, again, definitely check out this episode as you head through these different phases of life. Uh, But also check out the show notes of today's episode for more resources and a written recap of what we've talked about to help kind of reinforce some of the highlights. Uh, Just check that out there. And if you want to reach out to David to talk about your own financial plan and maybe having a one-on-one conversation about your financial life and your planning future, give him a call at 913-317-1414. That's 913-317-1414. Or go online to CoverYourAssetsKC.com. That's CoverYourAssetsKC.com and get in touch through the website. Well, great episode today. On the next edition of the show, we're going to be talking about eight key steps to organizing financial records. So a good follow-up, David, to talking about all these documents. Well, now we can talk about staying organized with it all. (laughs) Yeah, that's my plan because I see some amazing things walk into my office, usually big boxes of statements that frankly should have been shredded long ago. So we'll go through the key uh, financial, well, frankly, a lot of the things we talked about in the, the records that you need in this podcast we just finished. 
how do you deal with those statements going forward? So hopefully this is uh, upcoming is going to be super helpful for taming your financial records retention problems. That'll be next week on the next edition of Cover Your Assets KC. For David Dickens, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.